Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Let's see a trend and welcome to the world transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, one that will be here sooner than you think, and one that you have an important role to play in bringing about. At The World Transformed, we want to introduce you to what may be the greatest transformation of them all, the one that begins with considering and acting on the almost limitless possibilities that lie before us and that ends somewhere beyond the reach of the human imagination. So when does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-author, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am super fantastic. Happy Wednesday. How are you, my friend? Man, doing great. Uh, can't wait for the amazing show tonight. We are uh, doing part two of our interview with Aubrey de Grey tonight. So, very, You know, very we happy. do amazing shows on Wednesdays, and it's hard to get much more amazing than talking with Dr. Aubrey de Grey about the research which is what we're going to get into this evening, that is dedicated to ending aging and the tremendous progress that's being made. Dr. Aubrey de Grey, as you know, is a biomedical gerontologist and the originator of the idea of SENS, Strategies for Engineered Negligible Senescence. He's the author of the book, Ending Aging, and also a co-author of our book, Visions for a World Transformed. He is the go-to guy for talking about making us live longer. So let's go to part two of our interview with Aubrey de Grey. So let's talk about what's going on in the research. Yeah, let's do that. Stephen, so, you want to kick uh, that off? Yeah. I, well, I, let me just ask first, uh, um, Aubrey, is, is there areas of research that might, you know, might be for more typical types of uh, medicine, like uh, are, areas like cancer, diabetes, obesity, heart disease, areas of research that might ultimately prove fruitful for SINs? Are you seeing researches, research in those areas that could ultimately contribute to what it is you're trying to do? Well, kind of. I mean, I think really the way in which that is happening is that there is an increasing acknowledgement of the necessity to intervene at an earlier stage in the disease process, by which I mean not necessarily before someone has got symptoms, but rather at the underlying lifelong accumulating damage in the body that causes those symptoms not only to emerge but also to progress after they've emerged. Um, so, you know, as we see today in medicine, um, the bulk of medicine treats the actual symptoms of uh, age-related disease, and there are only a couple of exceptions of major drug categories that are preventative, that try to attack the precursors of the disease. So the most obvious one would be statins, which of course try to reduce the amount of cholesterol 
that um, that the body has, and thereby reduce the growth of um, atherosclerotic plaques. Another one would be ACE inhibitors, which uh, uh, um, address hypertension. The problem with those two categories of drugs is that they don't really attack the accumulating damage. They instead attack the aspects of metabolism that are responsible for creating the damage. And that has a huge difficulty because the, those aspects of metabolism are useful as well. So in the case of statins, you know, um, reducing the rate at which cholesterol is synthesized is something that you can only go so far with because cholesterol is a very necessary molecule in the body. The real target needs to be the oxidized cholesterol, the derivatives of cholesterol that are spontaneously generated at relatively low abundance, um, but which, unlike normal cholesterol, are poisonous, uh, especially to white blood cells. And, of course, that's what we're doing. We're identifying enzymes that are able to break down oxidized cholesterol. Um, yeah, so that's an example of how, you know, it's gone wrong. But to answer your original, to go back to your original question, we are seeing better understanding of this. We're seeing people increasingly acknowledging that it makes no sense to, to think of the diseases of old age as diseases in the normal sense, you know, like infections that could be cured, because the fact is, the only thing that makes a disease a disease of old age is because it's an aspect of aging. It's because it's some kind of the later stages of something that's been happening throughout life and was initially non-symptomatic. Um, and therefore, the right way to think about these things is all as one unitary network of processes that, that constitute aging and not to try to carve off little bits of aging and give them disease-like names and, um, you know, and try to address them in ways that will never work as a result. Okay. We talked on Friday's show, last Friday, we talked a little bit about the drug metformin, how it you know, has been around for a long time, that it's used in the treatment of diabetes, and that some recent research has shown it to be kind of a potentially general-purpose cure for everything. Not quite that, but, but it, it seemed to be positively indicated with, with people doing better on a whole lot of potential bad outcomes associated with aging than, than they otherwise would have. Is, is a, a treatment like that, does, does that kind of fall in line with what, uh, what Stephen is talking about there? Is, is, is it possible that there are, there are treatments uh, such as that, that that already exist that could be applied differently that might be uh, capable of giving us a big boost in, in this direction? Yeah, maybe, but I'm not all that optimistic. Um, so you're quite right. There's been a great deal of buzz around metformin recently because there have been um, demonstrations that, uh, well, studies that, uh, that uh, at least provisionally appear to show uh, an effect in um, addressing aging generally, not just diabetes. However, I don't think those studies are really conclusive. And the worst of it is that the mechanism by which metformin is, is proposed to actually address aging is by acting as, at least uh, to some extent, a calorie restriction mimic. In other words, as a drug that tricks the body into thinking that it's in a famine when it isn't. And that is not a good, a good sign because 
We know very clearly now, something that actually has been pretty obvious to me for more than a decade, that the uh, longer lived you are as a, a, a species, naturally, with um, normal um, levels of, of nutrients, the weaker the effect of calorie restriction. In other words, really short-lived organisms get a dramatic increase in their longevity when they are placed under calorie restriction in the right kind of way. And longer-lived organisms have a less um, pronounced benefit. The benefit that we see in monkeys, for example, is only a few percent, if that, of longevity, of lifespan. And we would expect an even smaller increase in humans because humans are even longer-lived. So that means that if calorie restriction itself is not going to be of much benefit, then any drug that activates the same metabolic um, adjustments that calorie restriction itself does is, by definition, only also going to have the same small benefit at most. So I'm not hopeful, really, about metformin. But that's okay. I mean, there's a couple of things that... Um, go against all that. The first one is I could be wrong, of course, like any scientist. Um, I have to recognize that it's worth having a look and trying this. And the second thing is that metformin, because it is so well known and so safe, has been able to be used as the first drug that has ever been approved by the FDA for an anti-aging clinical trial, a trial in which the outcome is the um, postponement of the ill health of old age. That was the result of some very extended and elaborate negotiations between the FDA and a bunch of senior gerontologists led by Mir Barzilai Albert Einstein. And uh, they, they came up with a very ingenious definition of aging in terms of, age, in terms of um, established age-related pathologies that uh, kind of suited everybody uh, because it emphasized the um, need for definable, measurable endpoints, but it also uh, incorporated the appreciation that aging is this very multifaceted phenomenon in which lots of things are, um, ha are going wrong all at the same time. So even if, even if metformin isn't a particularly effective drug where that's concerned or not effective at all, it's, it's played a valuable role here, hasn't it, in, in, in kind of opening up that idea, the, the, you know, kind Absolutely. of the, the yeah, first, first yeah, mover in that space. Yeah, historically, you know, people, uh, people couldn't go to the FDA with a proposal for a clinical trial against aging, and because they couldn't, that meant that what, there was a huge, you know, obstacle in getting any big pharmaceutical companies enthusiastic about developing drugs that might actually have an effect. Whereas now that this has happened as a, as a um, first precedent, it means that anybody who wants to do a clinical trial testing the anti-aging effect of anything else, whether it's another drug or even a stem cell therapy or a gene therapy, um, you know, they'll be able to design the clinical trial um, based on the same template, so to speak, and they will have a much easier time getting it approved. The genie is out of the bottle. <laughs> yep. Hope so. Fantastic. So would you recommend, I mean, if, if someone is thinking about 
talking to their doctor about it? Is it do, you, do you think it's a good idea, bad idea? Is it a waste of time? Is it, uh, you know, I, I look at it and I go, well, even if it's 1%, that might be the 1% that gets you there, right? Uh, is, is it, uh, is it well, worth thinking about it that way, or are there just too many possibilities for that to be a, a good approach to take? I think it's kind of worth thinking about it that way. I mean, certainly what we can say is metformin has been used by a very large number of people over a very large number of years, and it seems to be completely safe which means that even if it's only very minimally beneficial, um, you know, that's better than nothing. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a reasonable way to look at it. But, of course, there are other considerations like cost that may come into it. You know, of course, the actual drug itself is not expensive, but you've got to get hold of it. You've got, you know, there, 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 there may be other considerations that might offset the benefits. However, yeah, I mean, what you just said is basically true. Uh, Aubrey, um, the uh, the recent uh, Qualcomm tricorder tri contest has come to an end, and uh, it's resulted in some promising devices. Um, and you know these these uh, these devices, uh, you know, I, I predict will ultimately kind of disappear into smartphones and things. Uh, could these sorts of things? Do you foresee anti-aging treatment ultimately capitalizing on um, some sort of device that uh, kind of monitors us in real time? I do, yes. I don't think it's going to be something that will have permanent value in the um, maintenance of health, but I think that uh, for for a while, devices like this are going to be beneficial. And they come, I can actually, um, you know, the reason for that is because they really come under the heading of personalized medicine. They are, of course, the way in which one finds out what is potentially in need of intervention. And, uh, you know, just like all the other aspects of personalized medicine that we're seeing, whether it's, um, you know, uh, uh, predispositions based on one's genotype or, um, uh, or on one's microbiome or one's metabolome and so on, you know, all of these things are going to contribute uh, both individually and jointly in, uh, to, to, to the optimization of the therapies that we have today. Now, the reason I don't think that we will, all, we will forever need such things is because therapies that really work, that really work well, don't need any optimization. Um, and so we might as well just be generic about them. You know, I always say you don't have a, we don't have a personalized polio vaccine because the polio vaccine just works. Um, but in the short term, when therapies are only modestly effective, then anything that makes them a little bit more effective for a given individual is definitely desirable. And I think that personalized monitoring, such as what you just spoke about, is, a, is, a, is an essential component of that. Early, early stages, yeah. Because ultimately, if, if uh, we're living, in effect, uh, like we're in our 20s or 30s, well, you know, when I was in my 20s and 30s, I, you know, I'd get to the doctor every decade or so whether I needed to or not, right? Um, you know, you just you don't need, you don't need to be followed that closely if you're that healthy. I guess is the ultimate goal, huh? So I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's very nice. One one of the things we've been talking about quite a bit on the show is the uh, CRISPR and this this ability to edit DNA. Now, if the ultimate treatment is not going to one be one that it needs to be necessarily customized for each individual. Is it, is it still possible that 
the, uh, the, the quote-unquote cure for aging, right, the silver bullet when we see it, is, do you think that is likely to be something that involves working on our, our genes at, the, at that level, that, something that, that ultimately will come out of research being done with CRISPR? Well, there certainly won't be any silver bullet, first of all. We are yeah. undoubtedly going to have to do a lot of different things all at the same time. But taking that into account, absolutely I'm sure that quite a lot of the things that we're going to have to do all at the same time will involve genetic modification. And because we're talking about treatments of people who are already alive, indeed already in middle age or older at the time the therapies come into existence, that means that we are talking very much about somatic genetic modification, somatic gene therapy. So CRISPR itself absolutely is going to play a huge role here. Gene therapy as a concept has, of course, been around a very long time, and it has struggled to progress. And the fundamental reason it's struggled is because of safety, because uh, the methods for delivering DNA into the cells of an individual are, in general, uh, rather bad at um, inserting DNA into a desired location in the genome. Instead, they insert their DNA randomly, and that means that occasionally, um, rarely but not rarely enough, um, they disrupt DNA of a gene that um, is normally well-behaved and turn the cell into a cancer cell, uh, which, of course, is not the desired outcome at all. Um, now, CRISPR has the advantage that it is extremely good at not doing that, that you can determine in advance where you want your modification to occur. And um, though initially the error rate of that process for the early versions of CRISPR was still rather high, people have made great progress over the past few years in improving that. And now the absolute state of the art in terms of fidelity of specific um, inter um, um, location is, is extremely high indeed. Uh, the, uh, you know, the, 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 the incidence of off-target effects, as they're called, of changes elsewhere than where it was intended, is you know, undetectable. So this is fantastic. There's one problem, though, and it's a problem that we at Sands Research Foundation have been working on. The problem is that with CRISPR, you can modify the <coughs> genome at a desired site, but you can't insert large amounts of new DNA. With you know a couple with, with, with a whole gene or a dozen genes on it, the way we might want to in the case of a variety of therapies that we want to develop, and um, so what we want to do is to find a mechanism which has every bit as good a specificity of insertion site as CRISPR does, but which can insert large amounts of DNA, and. We have for some years now been focused in that regard on a type of virus that naturally infects bacteria. So it's called a bacteriophage. Um, and there's a particular family of bacteriophages that we're very excited about because they are extremely specific in terms of what site they go into. The difficulty is that these phages, unlike CRISPR, you can't just um, you know, program what site they go into. They have a particular site that they understand that is present in the genome of their natural host, bacteria, um, but that site, that's, that DNA sequence, is not present in the mammalian genome, in either mice or humans. So, of course, this means that if you 
introduce this bacterial virus into human cells, nothing happens. Um, the enzyme just doesn't have any substrate. Uh, the, 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 what's called the integrase, the enzyme that inserts DNA. Um, so our clever idea that we've been pursuing is to do things in two stages. The landing pad, so to speak, the site that the bacteriophage is looking for, is quite short. It's only a couple of dozen amino acids, sorry, nucleotides long. Um, and that's an amount that CRISPR can perfectly happily do. So what we are now proposing is to use CRISPR to insert the landing pad, and then we've got the capacity to use this other mechanism to get any DNA that we like into the place where we put the landing pad. Sounds like a good approach. Um, if, if you were to pick one of the, I should back up and say that in the book Ending Aging, and, and actually just sort of fundamental to sins in general, is this idea that there are seven different types of damage that that make up what we think of as aging, that what we what we call aging, and that, per your point earlier, there's no silver bullet because you have to fix um, all of those all of those different problems. If you were to review what's happening now in terms of the research, do you see very positive things happening around any in particular of those of those kinds of damage, or any of them kind of we can almost check them off the list now, or is it uh, do, do we still have a ways to go with all of them? There has been enormously good progress, actually. Um, so, of course, we right from the beginning when we founded, when we created Sense Research Foundation, we felt that one of the types of damage, namely the loss of cells, could effectively be ticked off because the way to fix that type of damage is stem cell therapy. And while there was still a long way to go in developing stem cell therapies, there were, of course, many, many labs working on all the, on many different types of stem cell therapy, and we felt, and we still feel, that all of the really necessary applications of stem cell therapy for replacing cells that the body is not replacing on its own were actually being pursued very effectively by other people. For a short while, we actually had one exception to that. We were developing... Um, technology at Wake Forest Institute of Regenerative Medicine for regrowing the thymus, the organ that creates T-cells. Um, but eventually we discontinued that project basically because we got overtaken by other people. We were the first people to actually start developing that. But other people with better funding and more manpower were able to overtake us. And so we happily let them get on with it. Um, other things have also progressed, but not that far, but they've still progressed a lot. So, for example, I was mentioning earlier about atherosclerosis and the problems that um, statins have because they target the synthesis of cholesterol itself rather than trying to eliminate oxidized cholesterol. The enzymes that we identified in the environment that are able to break down oxidized cholesterol, they work pretty well in cell culture. And we were able to, well, that, that got far enough along that not only were we able to get a nice publication out of it a few years ago, but actually um, one of our major donors decided to take it private. So he created a whole new biotech company, a startup company, and funded it himself uh, to take this forward. And we believe that that is, um, you know, a, a great stepping stone towards getting that kind of approach into the clinic fairly soon. The same thing has happened with another type of 
molecular waste product that we've been focusing on for a long time, namely the uh, derivatives of vitamin A that accumulate in the back of the eye and are responsible for macular degeneration. That work, uh, we also transitioned into a um, startup company, and uh, that company is based in upstate New York. It's called ICOR, I-C-H-O-R. It's being run by a guy that used to work for us for a long time, Kelsey Moody, and um, it's going very well. They've been, they've been able to raise quite a bit of investment dollars to take that forward, and last I heard, they have... Oh, they're optimistic about getting the work into clinical trials within the next 12 months, which is pretty fascinating. Um, I could go on. Um, I'll just say that even the most challenging projects, the ones which had basically made no progress at all for many, many years, are now moving forward much more effectively. Um, one of our most long-standing projects is the attempt to obviate the accumulation of mitochondrial mutations by putting backup copies of the mitochondrial DNA into the nucleus. And the idea there, of course, is that then mitochondrial mutations themselves will be harmless, even though they will still accumulate. That's an idea that was first suggested more than 30 years ago, and everyone gave up on it because they thought it was too hard. Um, and we indeed uh, found that it was very hard and we didn't make any real progress for quite a long time. But over the past couple of years, we've been able to move forward quite effectively. We had a lovely publication came out in nucleic acids research towards the end of last year showing that we could get um, further, much closer to getting this going than anyone else had been before. And the whole field is really looking um, very seriously at this again. So that's another are, you, are you using CRISPR-like tools in that process, Aubrey? Not at the moment, no, because we are, of course, not actually looking in um, in vivo at this point. We are simply okay. uh, inserting these things in cell culture. Uh, but that is um, something that we would do in due course. Yes, absolutely, we would need to um, pursue the kind of approach I was mentioning earlier with this bacteriophage if we wanted to actually implement this in the clinic. So that's very encouraging to hear that there's progress and that even in the trickiest, most difficult areas, we're seeing, we're seeing some significant progress be made. Well, uh, we're just about out of time, so I don't want to keep you here all night. Stephen, did you have any other questions for Aubrey before we wrap it up? Actually, he anticipated it. I was about to ask him about uh, uh, any progress in, uh, in, in getting mitochondrial DNA into the nucleus, and he, uh, he jumped right on it. So well, there I you appreciate go. that, Aubrey. Uh, I was one saying, one, st one step ahead, as always. Then, I, then yeah. let me just end it, Aubrey, with this question, which is if people are interested in this, want to be a part of it, want to help, what do they do? Well, absolutely. They, we, we, the, we, the more support we have, the faster this will happen. So totally go to sense.org, S for sugar, E for elephant, N for November, S for sugar. .org and uh, see what we have there. The website has an absolute wealth of information that is designed for all kinds of audiences. There's highly technical stuff for biologists and there's also completely introductory stuff for newcomers and everything in between. There's, of course, lots of news. We have a monthly newsletter that you can sign up to receive. Um, we have uh, uh, lots of news stories about um, progress that we and others have made in all of these areas. And of course, there's a nice big friendly donate button for those of you who are so inclined. It's easy to find that donate button, folks. So check it out, sends.org. Follow the link. It's right here in our show notes, either at worldtransform.com or over at 
Blog Talk Radio, or on SoundCloud. You'll find the link in all three of those places. Follow that link. Get on sends.org and read up on the wonderful work that these folks are doing. Aubrey Gray, best of success to you in all that you're, all that you're working on, and uh, let's plan on having you back again somewhere down the road to talk about this further. I look forward to that. Thanks very much. Thank you very Thank you, much. All right, well, that was super fantastic. How great talking to Aubrey DeGray again, huh, Stephen? Well, how many times have we had him on, Phil? Uh, if you count uh, the various uh, panels and things that, uh, that we've had him on in, the, in shows in the past. Uh, this would be the times? fourth or fifth time, I would say. Something like that, four or five times. And uh, just a very, very gracious uh, with his time and, uh, you know, a very busy man. Uh, he's actively involved in real research, all the, you know, but, but still uh, can take, take time to, uh, to, to talk, uh, talk with us, and uh, we really appreciate it. We certainly do. Very personable fellow and uh, just a real gentleman and a great explainer and exponent of, of these ideas. It's, it's always a pleasure talking with Aubrey. Well, that's going to do it for this edition. We're going to come back on Friday with a brand-new show talking about various topics related to the future. And guess what we're going to do, Stephen? Some other geek. What do you think? <laughs> As always on Friday, we have a good time with that. Sounds like a plan. Well, it's been great talking with you. It's been great having you all with us. And until next time, live to see it. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.